The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Apologetics Show Number 6 on member-supported Restoration Radio. My name is Phil Stone, and I'm very pleased to welcome His Lordship Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida. Welcome back to you, my Lord. Thank you. Apologetics is using the text, The Defense of the Catholic Church by Francis X. Doyle, SJ. So if you have a copy, please feel free to follow along. Used and reprinted copies are available via online booksellers and you can find these links in the show notes. Well, time to continue on as we work our way through the main course in our apologetics feast discussing our Lord and Saviour Jesus of Nazareth called the Christ. So far in this mini-series we've covered lessons 9 and 10 discussing how Christ called himself a prophet and claimed to be the Messiah. In this show, as we weave our way through to lesson 19, we'll be covering how Christ, by approving the confession of St. Thomas, affirms that he is true God We'll also see that he claimed to be the Son of God in the presence of the Apostles, the Pharisees, and also in the presence of the Supreme Council. He also claimed that he had divine activity, a divine nature, divine knowledge, divine powers, um, and it takes us all the way up to um, that he claimed to be the Messiah. So the true Son of God was a public fact known to all classes and conditions of people in the Jewish nation. So we're really getting down to the proofs. Once again, it is a comprehensive subject that is, takes us deep into the text and into it has uh, many references to sacred scripture. So I encourage you to go to the bookshelf in your home, grab your Douay Reims Bible that's been sitting there for the last few decades and blow the dust off it for reference along the Francis Doyle text. In this show, we start with lessons, lesson 11 on page 69. Now, my Lord, this lesson is entitled Christ by approving the confession of St. Thomas affirms that he is true God. This is a fairly famous story as far as gospel accounts go, my lord. We even get a common saying from it, doubting Thomas, so I suspect many of our listeners will be familiar with it. Now the text here points to the gospel of St. John, chapter 20, verses 27 to 29. Uh, would you mind just setting the scene where we find ourselves in the upper room, I believe, with the apostles? It really starts back in verse 20, I think. Yes, this is uh, eight days after our Lord's resurrection. And Thomas was not there when our Lord appeared to them uh, the first time. And he therefore doubted the testimony both of the women and of the apostles themselves who had seen our blessed Lord. So his doubt is uh, something reprehensible. Why would he doubt that all of these apostles had seen our blessed Lord? especially when our blessed Lord had made so many references to his resurrection. Why would he doubt the women? So he's, uh, he's a doubting Thomas. and It's not merely uh, a question of, well, you know, I'm not too sure. He mm. will not accept it unless he sees it. See, so 
uh, our Lord is going to give him a mild rebuke for that. Yeah. So uh, our Lord appears to the to the apostles again, and Thomas is there, and it, Saint uh, because Saint Thomas has said, "I will not believe unless I can put my hands into his wounds, uh, into the wounds of his hands." And, and my finger into the wounds of his hands and my hand into his side, I will not believe it. And so he says to St. Thomas, put in thy finger hither and see my hands and bring hither thy hand and put it into my side and be not faithless but believing. So he uh, calls his bluff, so to speak, <laughs> Our blessed Lord, uh, you know, it purposely, he's not, our blessed Lord is not um, content merely with showing himself to Thomas, but he wants him to go through exactly what Thomas said he needed to do. And uh, so it's a, um, uh, a rebuke to Thomas. Uh, so mm. it also tells us that our Lord retained his wounds. Uh, it also tells us that his the wound was in his hand and not in his wrist. Mm. There was uh, some work put out oh no oh, many years ago a doctor at Calvary who said that oh they the uh, the, uh, the nails went into the wrist and not the hand and then you saw a whole bunch of crucifixes with our Lord nailed to his wrists or you know through his wrists and. Finally, people figured out that that was not true. But he, he says, "Put hither, uh, bring the, the the finger and put it into my hands." Mm. So that shows that the the wound was there, and also that he had the wound in the side. So that in even in his glorified body, he retained his wounds. Yeah, I think and um, he says, "Be not faith, faithless, but believing." I read some parts in the Haydock commentary um, about this uh, verse 25 in, in particular when, when uh, St. Thomas says, I will not believe. Uh, St. Cyril thinks that the grief and trouble St. Thomas was under might partly excuse his want of belief. However, we may take notice with St. Gregory, his backwardness in believing was permitted for the good of Christians in general, that they might be more convinced oh, of Christ's resurrection. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's... it's uh all of those things are, are for our sake. Mm. And then St. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. So this is St. Thomas's confession of the divinity of Christ, which is the natural thing if our Lord rose from the dead. See, that, that's the natural conclusion. There's no other conclusion to take except that he is God. That's right. Anyone that could raise himself from the dead is God. Now, skeptics wanted to say this was simply a, a term of shock in the way you would might say if you were shocked, oh my God, mm. see? <laughs> but that's obviously false, uh, especially that he says, my Lord and my God. No Jew, pious Jew, would say such a thing unless he meant it. They were very careful about the name of God. Yes. And so they wouldn't say, oh, my God, you know, or something like that. Uh, it, it, so that, that's just to be dismissed. Uh, and then our Lord says to him, because thou hast seen me, Thomas, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and have believed. Mm. So this is a 
a word to all who will follow the apostles. The apostles are privileged people because they have seen our blessed Lord. They have lived daily with with him. And uh, they uh, have seen everything that he did. Uh, but we have not seen. And really very few people since the time of our Lord, relatively speaking, have seen any miracles at all. Mm. Uh, we've heard of miracles, but most Catholics never see any miracles. And therefore, their their faith is of things unseen, and they they believe because they have been told, as the apostle St. Thomas should have believed. We believe because we have been told. We still have good reason to believe. That is, the testimony of the church is very credible, as we have seen and we will see. Mm. The testimony of Revelation, sacred scripture, is very credible. So it's a perfectly reasonable thing to do, to believe. Nonetheless, we, most of us, have not seen a miracle that that confirms the truth of the faith in the way this incident does. Mm. So he is saying to the entire church right till the end of the world, most of you will not see anything like this, and blessed are you, because that's really the, the substance of the Catholic religion is believing things that we do not see, mm. and even believing based on the testimony of others, including the apostles, the evangelists, and so forth, the testimony even of of the the faith as it is handed down by our ancestors, and you know we are told of the faith by our parents, mm. and so that's how we learn of it in most cases, uh, or we have studied the faith in some other way. But nonetheless, there is this uh, this act of faith that we must make. That is, we must believe. If we do not believe what has been revealed to us there is no possible way that we can be attached to our Lord. So that is a, a sort of a high price to pay, that we must believe and we must even give up our lives for this belief, that our, our adherence to the truths that we know from the faith is more important than our retention of our lives. And yes. many people have gone to, to their deaths for the truths of the faith, who never saw a single miracle. So, and what sustains us in the faith is the grace of God. It's a supernatural virtue, which is infused by God at baptism, uh, and it can even be infused before baptism, but it is infused by God, and we are sustained by that. The only way that we can ruin it is by denying a truth of the Catholic faith, which is heresy or apostasy. Yeah, so, I I was noting uh, verse 30, uh, the many other signs also did Jesus in the sight of his disciples, which are not written in this book, uh, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Um, not only does that just encapsulate the point of this gospel, but also a complete refutation of the Protestant doctrine of sola scriptura, or the Bible alone. Um, yes. In terms of, you know, we must only get it from the Bible. Yes. Now, this is St. John, uh, and he gives only seven miracles of our blessed Lord. 
Uh, and so there are many, many other things. Signs in the in sacred scripture, by the way, means miracles. Yes. And so he many other miracles also did Jesus in the sight of his disciples, which are not written in this book. And yes, that that completely refutes um, uh, Protestantism. And I think in another place that if everything were written uh, about our Lord, uh, it, the whole earth could not hold the books. Yeah. If it, that if everything that should be written were written, the earth could not hold the books. Uh, and But then he says, and these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Remember that St. John is writing this gospel precisely to assert the divinity of Christ against those who were denying it at the time. Yes. So he's writing this in the 90s AD uh, when uh, there is a, a heresy already denying the divinity of Christ. So uh, the Nicolites, I think they were called. So St. Thomas, therefore, affirms the divinity of Christ. So that brings us to, to the next, the next, next lesson, which is that's lesson 12. So this uh, lesson is entitled Christ in the Presence of His Apostles Claimed to Be the Son of God. And it particularly mentions... Uh, our Lord praising St. Peter's confession. So if we can unpack this, my Lord, that'd be great. Yes. So our blessed Lord uh, came into the quarters of uh, Caesarea Philippi and asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that the Son of Man is? Now when he says Son of Man, he's referring to himself according to his humanity. Mm. So obviously he's not going to say... <laughs> What do they say about the Son of God? Mm. Because he wants from St. Peter this confession. So he says who the Son of Man is. And they say some John the Baptist, and others some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And our Lord says to them, but whom do you say that I am? And now this is very interesting. Simon Peter answered and said, because our Lord uses the plural, whom do you? that is, to all of you, mm. whom do you say that I am? And St. Peter answers. So that it shows that he is already the leader of the group. And he says, Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God, which is a testimony of his divinity, mm. because God's Son obviously is God. Mm. Uh, human beings do not have chickens for children. You always generate... <laughs> Well, it's true. You don't. You always generate according to your nature. So to call him the Son of the Living God is to say that he is God. Right? That's very important. And Jesus answering said to him, "Now this is very, very important, also because he says, Blessed art thou, singular, Simon Bar Jonah, son of Jonah." Because flesh and blood hath not revealed it to thee, but my Father who is in heaven. So you have received revelation. These are very, very important words. Mm. Now he says, listen, I, and I say to thee that thou... Now, in Greek, the, the pronoun is used. The ancient Greek, just like Latin, was a, uh, just like Italian, uh, is a language in which you did not use the pronoun you, unless 
you wanted to emphasize it. See, so what he's saying is, and I say to thee, you, singular, that you are Peter. See, you are the rock. That's what he's saying. Yes. That, that, that accentuation of you. Thou, thou art Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. So thou art rock. Mm. You are rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's The Protestants have a real hard time with that. <laughs> because it, it just says everything. They know enough Greek, etc., etc., to know that this is directed exclusively to Peter and that he's giving him the title of rock. Now, some of the Protestants said, well, the word for in Greek for Peter is pebble. So he's saying, thou art pebble, and then, and upon this rock, I will build my church. What rock he's talking about, we don't know, but, but Peter is the pebble. <laughs> now, even Protestant scholars repudiated that. They said, no, 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 this is clear. Uh, and uh, they they have a very hard time with this because it it is uh, that uh, the fact that he sets aside the other is he's, he he abandons the plural form and then says, "You Peter, you are the one I pick." Mm. Uh, so um, yeah, and then he commanded. Uh, yes, I was, I was just going to say I've I've lost count of the amount of uh, arguments I've had with my parents about this passage who are Protestants uh, for those <laughs> right. who. We don't remember. Um, and uh, it's just a, it's one of the key sticking points with Protestants. They seem to have a closed mind. Um, I was doing a bit of research about this this passage, just uh, what, what are the, you know, the Protestants explaining about it. And, and they all sort of, you know, they, it could mean this, it could mean that the church is the rock, it could mean that St. Peter is the rock. But nevertheless, we must not take it as this means that um, Peter is the first pope. You know, it's it's. They say it could mean this or it could mean that, but never can you <laughs> acknowledge that it's the well, pope. <laughs> well, even if uh, you know, if we let that slide, uh, it means that Peter is the rock upon which Christ's church rests. That cannot be avoided in this text. In this mm. text, consequently. If your church is not resting on the rock of Peter, it is not the church of Christ. That's it. And yeah. consequently, it, it, the, the rock of Peter must have succession un, until the end of the world because that church must rest on the rock of Peter. Yes. So there must always be a, uh, the, the, the rock of Peter upon which that church rests. So that means that uh, you must have perpetual succession of of Peter. Uh, that's an important point. So, uh, so if your church does not rest on Peter, it is a false church. Uh, yeah. They can't avoid that. It's just there. I mean, uh, and so uh, you know, I, I, it, it's very clear. Especially when they, uh, they and then he, the scriptures as as the sole source of their faith. Um, it's written right there in black and white. Mm -hmm. So then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. That means the Messiah. Yes. See, so, 
then the author says, he who is the son of another has the same nature as that other, as we said about people generating chickens. <laughs> and Jesus, in affirming that he is the son of God, affirms that he has the same nature as God. See, that, that's important because in the ancient world there were a lot of gods. The emperor Tiberius was a god. And, you know, I'm being facetious, but yeah. if you were to say to the Jews, I am God, well, they would say, well, you and Hercules and everybody else. Yeah. You see, so this confession that you are the son of the living God. See, the Jews could not think of two gods. You know, somebody says, I'm God. You know, uh, they, they would have taken it in entirely the wrong way. But he says uh, that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That means the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. You are his son. So this is this is the way the Jews would understand that mm. they they you know to just say well I, I'm God <laughs> you know, so is the emperor <laughs> see the, the the you know that that's the way they would have understood it uh, not completely understanding the Trinity uh, they would have you know seen it as a, a claim to be a God different from the God of of Abraham or the God of of Jacob and Isaac. See, so this was, uh, you know, the way that this all happens is, is very much in accordance with how the Jews thought. And to affirm him as the Son of God is the greatest possible honor that they could give him, because it does confer upon him divinity. And, and then our Lord praises him for his confession. See, this, this means that, the, that Peter is inexorably attached to faith, that, that the identity of Peter and faith are, are just, just so attached, the two things that cannot be detached. And that's why in our own time, when we see all of this heresy coming forth from Bergoglio, we understand right away that it is impossible that this man be Peter. Mm. Because the, the faith is, is, so, is so much a condition of being Peter. And the the, the conf confirmation of the others in faith is essential to his role. That's why our Lord said to St. Peter later, uh, I have prayed for thee, Peter, that your faith not defect. Yes. And turning around, convertens in Latin, uh, confirm thy brethren. So he, he, he says, I will pray that your faith not defect because the faith is... is absolutely important for Peter, more than it is for any other person in the Catholic Church. The, the, the faith, and he must have the faith in order to be able to turn and confirm his brethren. So we see that the confirmation of the brethren, meaning the, uh, the, the rest of the church, in the faith is essential to being Peter. And, yes. and the faith and Peter go hand in hand essentially because he cannot perform his essential role without that faith. He cannot confirm others if he doesn't have the faith. See, so that's, that's an important point there. And so that's why he praises Peter for his confession. Now, uh, if Peter had gotten it wrong, he would have said, no, Peter, you know, you're, you're exaggerating or you've got, it, you've got it wrong. Just as he said to Nicodemus, when Nicodemus says, does that mean we have to go back into our mother's wombs and be born again? And our Lord corrected him. He said, you've got it all mixed up. You should know better than to say something like that. You're a doctor in Israel. Mm. 
You you know the law. It's like saying it to a priest or a bishop. You know, you should know this. Of course, I'm not talking about that. See, so our Lord would have corrected him. Uh, our Lord corrected those who wanted to make him king. Who, yeah. who you know wanted to make him a, a worldly king. He 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 was not in any way bashful in correcting those who took him the wrong way. Uh, and uh, that's uh, just as a, uh, an aside, that's very important with regard to the discourse in the Holy Eucharist because when they said, how can you give us your flesh to eat and, and your blood to drink? He did not correct them. No. He didn't say, oh, you misunderstand. He let them go <laughs> because they got him, they understood him correctly. And uh, so uh, th- 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 this dialogue with St. Peter is a very, very important part of uh, the declaration of his divinity. Uh, and, it, and the author says, besides Jesus, on his own authority, promises that he will establish a church against which even the powers of hell shall not prevail. Now that, that statement, the powers of hell, that indicates that they're going to try. Yes. See the that the it, it, it's a hint there that they're they're going to try to tear this down, uh, and so be prepared for that as well. That that it's not going to be a, a peaceful existence for the church, but that the powers of hell will bang at the door with a with a, a, a you know a battering ram, and they're going to try to set the whole place on fire, yeah. and they will do all sorts of things, both spiritually and physically to destroy what our Lord is establishing. Mm. And so that's a very important point too. And uh, last sentence in the text, only God could make such a promise. Yes, yes, because how could any human being know that and and how could any human being promise to protect the church for all time from destruction, even from the powers of hell? When you think of the how strong the powers of hell are in comparison to human beings. The powers of hell, the gates of hell, that's a, a Hebraism, gates referring to the uh, a military power or a, um, any kind of uh, force. Yes. The gates of hell uh, shall not prevail against it. So, uh, yes, he, he reveals his divinity in that way too. A side note there, my Lord, um, it's in the, especially in today's uh day and age and the, th- the crisis in the church that we hold on to that uh, promise of our Lord um, in, in terms of it could be to someone from the outside or who's not necessarily ro- better down in the faith that um, it looks like the gates of hell have prevailed against the church and um, yeah, we should certainly keep uh, an, an eye on that uh, that promise of, of our Lord. Yes. Um, so on to lesson 13. Um which is entitled Christ in the presence of the Pharisees claimed to be the son of God. And the question 80 says, what think you of Christ? Which is a, uh, a quote from our Lord. Once again, he's doing, uh, doing this again. And uh, it's probably worth to set the context of this gospel. We're looking at Matthew 22 verses 41 to 46. And this is where the Pharisees are trying to trap our Lord in his speech. Yes, this is either Tuesday or Wednesday of Holy Week. And it takes place in the temple this is after they have said to him, uh, they gave him the coin with Caesar's image on it, and he already caught them in that nonsense. And uh, so he is uh, saying to them, uh, they, they come to him one, one last time, 
And they say, what think you of Christ? Whose son is he? Now, this is in the temple in Jerusalem. They say to him, uh, no, I'm sorry, I have it wrong. Our Lord says to them, what think you of Christ? Whose son is he? They say, David's. He saith to them, how then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? Now this is, <laughs> this shows the divine wisdom of, of our blessed Lord. You have to know that he's referring to Psalm 109. Mm. Psalm 109, uh, that's exactly the first verse. The Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand until I make my, thy enemies thy footstool. That's the first verse. That was always considered a messianic psalm. Yes. So he is quoting a messianic psalm. That means a psalm that refers to the future Messiah. So he, he's right in the territory that he needs to be because they cannot deny that's a, that's a messianic psalm. Mm. So if David is saying to the Lord, meaning God the Father, the Lord said to my Lord, my Lord, that's God the Son. The Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. Now, if David is calling him, meaning the Christ, Lord, because it's a messianic son, how is he his son? How, why would you call your son Lord? See, so, and no man was able to answer him a word. That they had never thought of that. It's a beautiful gotcha moment. Now he's, you know, he is truly David. He, he, he is truly David's son, but he is more God's son. And they are all confused now because they can't answer that. Why would David call his son Lord? Now, Lord in 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 Hebrew is it means God. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Mm. And then it says, neither durst. That means dared any man from that day forth ask him any more questions <laughs> gotcha <laughs> yeah that is a gotcha question yes definitely uh and uh, no they couldn't answer it uh, but it's in the context of this final attempt on the part of the pharisees to get him mm. and to to have him say something that would be uh damning and so that they can go to Pilate and, and say something awful about him. Yes. Uh, and uh, so they want to put him to death. Now, the author says, from the above we see that Jesus argued thus, if the Messiah is the son of David only, as you think, how does the inspired scripture call him God? Therefore you are mistaken when you teach that the Messiah is not true God. But I am the Messiah, and therefore true God. So that's in a nutshell what our Lord is saying to them. Yeah. <clears throat> and of course, they could give no answer to that. <laughs> so, uh, so that that's the, the 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 last conversation that he has before his arrest, uh, and where he talks to the Sanhedrin, which brings us to the next chapter. And I think uh, this is in front of the Supreme Council. Of the Jews, where he yes. solemnly uh, claimed, um, obviously, probably a bit of context here. If you just continue, yes. Well, he was arrested on the night of uh, Thursday night, so you know, 
this is all you know taking place within within a very short period of time. So he's arrested and and they tie him up and they bring him before Caiaphas, who is the high priest, uh, and the Sanhedrin, which is the supreme court, we might say, of the Jews, and it it consisted of many people. Uh, I forget the exact number, but it was 40, 50 uh, elders who all sat in judgment. And uh, so he is is summoned there, and Caiaphas interrogates him. Uh, And so they, uh, in St. Matthew, we read, and the high priest said to him, because there was a lot of dialogue leading up to this question, where our Lord would not answer him, uh, many things that many false accusations. You would have to read the whole text. Uh, but finally, Caiaphas, getting impatient, says, "I adjure thee by the living God." That means, I want you to answer under oath, essentially. Yes. That thou tell us if thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Now notice how he says that: the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God indicating that they knew that the Messiah would be the Son of God. Mm. See, why would they? Why would he put that question to them? If he said that thou art the Christ, well, we could understand that, but Son of God, he answers that. Now, it could be that they don't believe it. Probably that's true. But they want him to blaspheme in their eyes, and say that he is the Son of God, because certainly they have heard that he is making this claim. Yeah. And they want some something to say to Pilate. So they want, they're, they're, they're luring him into what they consider a trap, you see, that, that he's not really the Son of God, but he'll say he's the Son of God because he's been claiming this. See, So up to this time, our Lord has been completely silent, mm-hmm. would not answer them a word. And our Lord said to him, uh, thou hast said it. Now, that is the equivalent of something like what we say popularly, you said it. Mm. Uh, it's a very affirmative statement. Thou hast said it. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of the power of God and coming in the clouds of heaven. Now, that is to say, I am equal to God. Because yes. no no pure human being could ever make that claim. And that's exactly how the high priest took it. And he rips his garments, and this was very well done in the Gibson movie. Uh, perhaps it was the best of all of the scenes in that movie was the Sanhedrin. Yes. Uh, they very well acted. He rips his garments, and he says, He hath blasphemed. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now you have heard the blasphemy. What think you? See, so he, he, he is taking it as, as saying that he is God. Otherwise, you know, there's nothing, the reaction is, is unjustified. Mm. There's, uh, and, and they answering said, he is guilty of death. See, yeah. so this also refutes the idea that, they, that he was a fool. See, they, if he was some sort of a fool that was just making trouble in the neighborhood, they would not have had this reaction toward him. They take him very, very seriously. 
but they want to undo him. They want to, to put him down. And they are looking for this. Uh, so, now, blasphemy in the Old Testament was a terrible, terrible crime, worthy of death. Yes. Stoning was the, was the death, ordinarily. They could not stone him because the Romans took away from them the power to, uh, of capital punishment. And they had to go through the Romans to obtain capital punishment. And uh, so, the author comments, Caiaphas asks, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us if thou be the Christ, the Son of God. And the answer, Jesus saith to him, Thou hast said it. This was the customary affirmative answer to the judicial oath. Mm. And it is the same as, Amen, be it so. So it's very affirmative. Mm. Just like we would say to someone, You said it. You see, that's very, very affirmative. Uh, and in Mark, the, the answer is, St. Mark, the answer is, I am. And so the conclusion to the high priest's solemn question, whether he is the Christ, the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth solemnly answers that he is. Yes. So let no one say that he never said he was God. It's just not true. He said it. In fact, this led to his death. Uh, and the fact that the fact that the Sanhedrin then condemned him to death shows that they understood that he was claiming to be God. And they will send, say later to Pilate that he made himself equal to God, and that's why he must die. Yeah. So they, they understood him 100%. And so that's very significant, that he made this solemn claim before the Sanhedrin, even though he knew that his life was at stake, he made this solemn claim. And uh, so... Uh, that, that's that's his testimony concerning himself. And that brings us to the next chapter. That's right. Well, I might just uh, pause here for a moment, my Lord. We see here these four separate examples in the gospel where our Lord either claimed to be the Son of God or praised the confession of one of the apostles. In this case, uh, St. Peter and St. Thomas. So we would like to remind you that you're listening to Apologetics Show Number 6 on member-supported Restoration Radio. I'm your host, Phil Stone, and I'm joined by His Lordship Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida. And today, as I've just said, we've been discussing our Lord um, and Saviour, and in that he is just confirming all over the place that he is God. Um, so the next part of the show talks about a number of uh, chapters that where he claimed the powers of God, so the nature and so forth. So the next uh, lesson is uh, Lesson 15, Christ claimed that he had the nature of God. Yes, uh, and we have another f wonderful example uh, from St. John, uh, chapter 8. Uh, the Pharisees um, are again uh, accusing him and following him around and being nasty toward him. And our Lord says to them, Abraham, your father, Rejoice that he might see my day. He saw it and was glad. And the Jews therefore said to him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? And our Lord says this very, very powerful mm. thing back to them. Jesus said to them, Amen, amen. That's always a solemn statement. I say to you, before Abraham was made, I am. Now, that I am just rang like 
so many fire alarms and bells in the re- in the ears of those Jews because he said the word that cannot be pronounced even in the sacred Jewish scriptures. It is the Yahweh that uh, that God said to Moses in the burning bush when Moses said, how, how should you be called? What is your name? And he said, I am who am. Mm. And that was, and the Jews uh, considered that so sacred that even in their recitation of the scriptures, they would not say that, but they said Adonai, the, the powerful one, mm. instead of that sacred word. So he is evoking, he's like breaking the glass He's evoking that word, I am, before Abraham was made, I am. Notice he doesn't say, I was, but I am, because everything is present for God. He doesn't have a was and a will be. Everything is am, I am. And they took up stones, therefore, to cast at him, therefore. Notice that therefore, very important word, for that reason, because he said that. They took up stones to cast at him. And they did that because his statement clearly was, I am God, I am the God of Abraham. And again, notice that he speaks to them in the language of the Jews. He doesn't say, I am God, for the reason that I gave before, because, well, so is the emperor, sir. You know, the, the, he talks to them in the language of the Jews before Abraham was made, I am. Oh, that, that, that just, it was like a, a shaft that went right through their brains when they, when yeah. they heard that. <laughs> so. And uh, so they, uh, so now the author uh, comments, uh, uh, Abraham rejoiced that he might see my day, that is my earthly life, which has been divinely foretold and in which he believed. Two, he saw it and was glad. That is, he now sees it, or while he was on the earth, he saw it by a revelation from God. All right? Yeah. Number three, I am. The word means, words mean existence. As I am existence. Mm. In the context, since Jesus is, before Abraham was made, it means an unchanged existence by reason of his very nature. What I just said. Because essentially what, what God said to Moses is, I am existence. That, that is my nature. That's who I am. I am existence. I am not this or that thing. Or, you know, I'm not a cow or a, or a frog. I am existence. That is my nature. Yeah. And so our Lord is saying, I am existence. It, it just, they knew exactly what he was saying. Yeah. Uh, and then the author points out that the... Uh, that the uh, in the Old Testament, the burning bush, uh, Moses says to God, "Lo, I shall go to the children of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the, the God of your fathers hath sent me to you. If they should say to me, what is thy, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who am. He said, thus shalt thou say to the children of Israel, he who is hath sent me to you. Now, Ratzinger, by the way, uh, translated this or understood this to mean, I am who I am, which totally perverts the whole text. Moses is saying, they're going to ask me your name. How are you called? And (laughs) if we believe Ratzinger, 
the answer is I am who I am. That's the same as it is what it is, which is it is what it is. Wrong. <laughs> How stupid can you get? And and it contradicts exactly what he says afterwards. Thus shalt thou say to the children of Israel, He who is hath sent me to you. Yeah. Not, it's either stupid or he very is sinister. Who he is. <laughs> it's either stupid or very calculated. I mean, this is stupid. It's, it's well, of course it is. It, it tears down the whole argument. Yes. It it tears down the 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 presence of God in the Old Testament. It tears down this what our Lord said in in the New Testament. It just rips it apart. Complete undermining of the basis so, of our faith. Yes. Uh, so, uh, and, uh, so, uh, uh, so the Jews wished to stone Jesus and therefore they knew that he called himself God. So that's, they would not have stoned him otherwise or tried, they did stone him, but they didn't, he, he left them. Mm. The Jewish law was, and this is a quote from Leviticus, he, and he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord dying, let him die. All the multitude shall stone him, whether he be a native or a stranger. He that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, dying, let him die. Mm. Now, this is a very important point uh, that, that concerns the Jews. Either our blessed Lord was the true Messiah, or he was not. There's no middle term there. There's no, no possible gray area there. If he was the true Messiah, then the Jews are wrong to remain Jews. If he was not the true Messiah, then they must consent to the death sentence upon him. Otherwise, they contradict Leviticus. So if if they are saying by their Judaism, by their rejection of Christianity, that he was a false Messiah, then they are all required to consent to what their forefathers did in crucifying him. They cannot get out of that dilemma. They cannot say, well, our forefathers were wrong. No, according to Leviticus, they were right if he is not the true Messiah. If he is the true Messiah, they must convert. They must give up their Judaism and convert. So they are in that dilemma. And they can't really get out of it. Is it fair to say they were looking for an excuse as well to stone him, but he hid himself? Is that correct? Have I got that right? You know, he- oh yes, yes. Well, it wasn't his time. No, that's right. It wasn't his time to to uh, to undergo those sufferings, uh, and uh, yes, they they would have been successful in stoning him if he had permitted them, but it wasn't his time. Yes. Uh, so yeah. So that kind of wraps up that chapter. If you've got anything else to cover on that. No, just the, 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 the author's conclusion is correct. Therefore, from his own words and from the action of the Jews, we see clearly that Jesus of Nazareth claimed to have the eternal existence of God. Yes. Well, on to the next one, which is another nature, uh, lesson 16. Um, Christ claimed divine knowledge, and here we're reading in Luke chapter 10, verse 21 and 22. So if I'll let you take it up from here, my Lord. Yes, the text is this, I confess to thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hidden these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them to the little ones. 
Yea, Father, for so it hath seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered to me by my Father, and no one knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and to whom the Son will reveal him. So clearly he's saying that the Father and the Son have a single knowledge. Mm. That's the only way you can take that, and that is the absolute equivalent of saying the Father and the Son are one in the divine essence. Um, then he also says in another part of the Gospel, uh, Come to me, all you that labor and are burdened, and I will refresh you. Take up my yoke upon you and learn of me, because I am meek and humble of heart, and you shall find a rest in, to your souls, for my yoke is sweet and my burden light. So the author comments, First, no one knoweth who the Son is but the Father. That is, no one knows the nature of the Son except the Father. All right, so the Jews did know the Son as an individual, but God alone could know the Son and the nature he possessed. So only God comprehensively knows his own nature. No creature, not even the greatest angel or the Blessed Virgin Mary, can comprehend God. That is totally take in his nature. Yes. That's, uh, so he's saying that I totally comprehend the Father and the Father totally comprehends me. Uh, the, uh, the author says correctly, men know that electricity exists, but they do not know its nature. Mm. So there are many things in physics that we know exist, but we only know a certain amount of their nature, or certain we know their characteristics and all, but you know exactly what certain things are. We we're not entirely sure. Mm. Uh, to this day, you know, the description of what lightning is and how it happens and all is is still disputed, mm. and you know and how, why it it strikes this and doesn't strike that. Uh, I remember talking to somebody about lightning rods uh, in the building, and he says, you know. You can get them. They'll cost you about $25,000. But whether the, the lightning will strike them is a whole other question. <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, you should know that the Tampa area is the lightning capital of the United States. Right. That, that thunderstorms come through here all the time. And uh, we're probably getting ready for one just as I'm speaking now. Right. But the, all the time. And the lightning is, is frightful. Uh, it is <laughs> it's terrible. Especially in summer, right? Uh, yes, yes. In the winter, we never see them, but in the summer, we get these these just terrifying storms, and and, and so you know, it's a big question about where the lightning is going to hit. And you can put up a lightning rod, but there's no no guarantee that it will hit it's because case. it's a, it's a mystery. It's a, why lightning hits this and not that is a big mystery, uh, even to this day, mm. um, and. Um, uh, why hurricanes form and why they don't, and you know we know something about them, but we don't know everything about them. Uh, so that, that's an important point. So only God completely comprehends His own nature, and so God the Father completely comprehends the nature of the Son, and vice versa. Uh, so the second point that the author makes is: no one knows who the Father is but the Son. That is, no one knows the nature of the Father except the Son. And the Jews did know the Father as God, 
but the Son alone knows the nature of the Father as Father, and it belongs to the Son to reveal this nature to whomsoever he will. So the Jews knew him as the Father of their people, but he, the Jews did not know them know God as having a son. See, that, that's, they, they just did not know that. So that the idea of a, a, a son who is not an adoptive, like a people is adoptive, but a son who it, it has his own nature was unknown to them up to the time of Christ. Uh, there are hints about it in the Old Testament, but not the revelation that he is giving here in the New Testament. <clears throat> so, therefore, our, our Lord is claiming divine knowledge because no creature could ever claim to know the nature of God comprehensively except God yeah. himself, someone who has the divine intellect. So that's a very important point. Now in the context of this text, of course, no. uh, he's explaining in these chapters, uh, Christ claimed the nature, the knowledge, the activity, and the power of God, which all undermine, underlines, should I say, um, that, that you know Christ is God. So are we ready for the next chapter, my Lord? Yes. Yes, the claim to divine activity. So in John chapter 5, we read, Therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus because he did these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh until now, and I work. Hereupon the Jews sought the more to kill him because he did not only break the Sabbath, but also said God was his father, making himself equal to God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Amen, amen, I say unto you, the Son cannot do anything of himself, but what he seeth the Father doing. For what things soever he doth, these the Son also doth in like manner. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things which himself doth. And greater works than these will he show him, that you may wonder. For as the Father raiseth up the dead, and giveth life, so the Son also giveth life to whom he will. For as the Father hath life in himself, so he hath given to the Son also to have life in himself. These are, are loaded with declaration of divinity. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the author explains it very well. He says, paraphrasing what our Lord is saying, If I work on the Sabbath, I am blameless because the Father works on the (laughs) Sabbath. That what I do, the Father does, and what what the Father does, I do. See, so that the, which is, of course, absolutely true, that the divine activity outside of the, um, outside of the Trinity itself is the work of the three Mm. persons. So this is all, uh, so, uh, so, this reasoning is false unless the activity of the Father and the Son <coughs> is the same physical action. And the Jews understood that Jesus claimed to have the same physical activity as the Father, for they wished to kill him as a blasphemer, making himself equal to God. <coughs> so they perfectly understood. Again, he is speaking their language. Yes. He is, is talking to them about the God of Abraham, their father. He is never getting into any kind of pagan idea of a God. He is really 
this is what the Jews understand. And that's why they pick up stones. That's why they, they are accusing him of blaspheming. They understand exactly what he's saying. Yes. <clears throat> he also didn't say, no, no, you've got it wrong. Um, <laughs> once again, he, he affirmed it. Yes. Yes. But, you know, we're, we're doing this because uh, critics uh, of, of the faith say, our Lord never said, I am God. God. So he never said that. And it's true he never said, I am God. Uh, but we're, we're, he said it far better and far more explicitly than, I am God. <clears throat> so at the, the final part of that uh, chapter, uh, you will note it, it, the author points out that uh, Jesus claims activities like the resurrection of the dead, which belong to God alone as well. So uh, a, a foresight of things to come, I think, too. Yes, raising people from the dead by his own power. Yes, and raising himself. Um, <clears throat> yes. So on to the next chapter, um, which is uh, Lesson 18, uh, which is Christ Claimed Divine Powers. Talking about John chapter 10, verse 27 to 39. Yes. And it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them life everlasting, and they shall not perish forever, and no man shall pluck them out of my hand. That which my Father hath given me is greater than all, and no one <clears throat> can snatch them out of, my hand, out of the hand of my Father. I and the Father are one. So there mm. it is again. And it says, The Jews then took up stones to stone him, understanding exactly what he meant. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. They yeah. understood. <coughs> he, if he had said, I am God, they would not have understood more clearly than saying, I and the Father are one. Yeah. That they understand. Jesus answered them, is, is it <coughs> not written in your law, I said you are gods? <coughs> That's in the mm. Psalms. Uh, if he called them gods to whom the word of God was spoken, do you say of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said I am the Son of God? <clears throat> if I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though you will not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in the Father." They sought, therefore, to take him, and he escaped out of their hands. So, again, this is an absolutely explicit declaration of divinity. <clears throat> that if you can be called gods in the Old Testament because the word of God was preached to you, that's with small g. In other words, that you're godlike uh, because you have received the word of God then why are you complaining about me who say I am one with the Father when I do all of these works, meaning the signs, the miracles, which prove that I am one with the Father, which prove my divinity? What are you complaining about? Why do you find that objectionable? 
And if you don't believe me, you know, as if, if I don't have credibility in your eyes, at least believe these works, these, these cures and all of these things that I do for your sake to prove to you that I am the true mm. God. Believe in them at least so that you can have eternal life. <clears throat> yeah. That's the yeah, point. Absolutely. So the, 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 uh, the author sums it up nicely. No one can snatch the sheep out of the hands of my father, but I and the father are one. Therefore, no one can snatch the sheep out of my hands. This union of the Son and the Father is a union of physical powers, not a mere moral union, meaning that a moral union would be between two people that love each other, for example. And the Jews understood Jesus to mean this as their actions show. So, so, you know, it's, it's as clear as crystal. Yeah. But you have to analyze these things. You know, the average person reading through the gospel and picking up these things here, there, and the other place probably would not put them together in his mind. Uh, Nor would he understand the import of what our Lord is saying without a little explanation that I have given and the book has given. See, but when you see them one by one, chapter by chapter, no one could deny that he claimed to be the the one true God. Yeah, as I was researching... (laughs) This um, this show um, and reading the book, I, I was surprised um, just how many times he reinforces he is God and he claims all these the, the powers of God and that him and the Father are one. Um, because I'm coming from the context of being raised a Protestant, and uh, it's almost they have this unwritten rule that um, well, he doesn't specifically say he is God. We must believe, you know. Um, so that's why I was surprised and. You make a good point there, my lord. So, shall we move to chapter 19? Yes. So, this this says that Christ claimed to be the Messiah and the true Son of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. That Christ claimed to be the Messiah and the true Son of God was a public fact known to all classes and conditions of people in the Jewish nation. And so, that, that uh, he said that the point of this, the thesis is that. All the Jews knew that he was the Messiah and the true Son of God, or at least that he claimed to be. That that claim was known to all the Jews. And this is proved from the preaching of our Lord to the people, uh, uh, to his apostles and disciples and his friends and enemies. And we'll see a few more proofs from sacred scripture that this is true. The first is, the, this is from Matthew chapter 27. The people cried out, Va, thou that destroyest the temple of God in three days, dost rebuild it. And this is when he's hanging on the cross. Save thy own self. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Now, notice, first of all, they, our Lord didn't say, I will tear the temple down. He said, if that temple is torn down. I will rebuild it in three days. He did not say, I will tear it down. He was accused of that in the Sanhedrin, that he was going to destroy the temple. Uh, And uh, now, if thou be the Son of God, so they know of his claim. They would never have said that if he had not claimed it and come down from the cross and then we'll believe in you. I think that's the next sentence. And of course, they would not. 
if they didn't believe all of the other things, they wouldn't believe that either. That's right. So, and uh, the second of these proofs, uh, that the chief priests and scribes and ancients said, quote, he saved others, himself he cannot save, if he be the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him now deliver him, if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. So the Pharisees and chief priests knew that he claimed to be the son of God, and they are also uh, urging him to come down from the cross, and then they will believe in him, as if they did not have enough evidence already. So they are accusing themselves very badly there. Number three, that the soldier said, if thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. So they understood at least that he was claiming to be the king of the Jews, which would be his messianic dignity. Uh, Number four, that one of the thieves crucified with him said, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. So even the thief was a low member of society, and probably was not very interested in hearing the sermons of our Lord, had heard of the fact that he was the king of the mm-hmm. Jews, meaning the Messiah. So they they'd accepted him only a week before in uh, Jerusalem with the palms on Palm Sunday. Yes, yes. Uh, number five, that the title on his cross read, This is the king of the mm-hmm. Jews, <clears throat> and in which Pilate maintained, even though the Pharisees came to him and said, it should say, he said that he was king of the Jews. And Pilate gives this wonderful answer that is so typically Roman, uh, what I have written, I have written. <laughs> like it just, it's just so typically Roman. It, it is the Roman equivalent of saying, drop dead, essentially. <laughs> that <laughs> they, uh, it is bike. just... It's just so Roman uh, that that you people have nothing to say to your Roman uh, your your Roman imperial uh, uh, rulers. Yeah. You have nothing. We don't care about anything you say. <laughs> and yeah. and it way. showed that Pilate understood that he was the king of the Jews, <clears throat> even yeah. Pilate, uh, because he had that very mystical conversation with our Lord. And knew that he was somebody from another <laughs> another world. Yes. That that the and his wife too said you know said have nothing to do with him because I've had a dream about him and uh, the uh, so Pilate had high suspicions that our, our blessed Lord was was not entirely human. Let's say <clears throat> uh, he was the real deal. Yes. And number six, the Roman centurion said, indeed, this was the Son of God when he saw everything that was happening in nature as a result of the crucifixion. So there again, even a Roman centurion understood that. And by the way, he was not, this is Longinus who said that. He was the centurion, which means the officer. Don't confuse him with with the soldier that pierced his side with a lance. That was not Longinus. Longinus was surveying the whole thing and directing the whole thing, but it was a soldier, just an ordinary soldier, that pierced his side with a lance. So that's something to remember. <clears throat> yes. And Longinus converted, of course, we know, 
and he's one of the four statues that surround the main altar uh, in St. Peter's Basilica. I don't know if you know that. Uh, uh, no, I didn't. Um, yes, so Longinus was for Longinus. He was the centurion or the soldier who the centurion, the, the centurion, right. which means he was an officer. He was a high placed person. He had yes. uh, um, uh, you know a uh, hundred men under him. So you know mm. he was an officer, and uh, so uh, the uh, and he was in the Legion of Northern Italy, which had been sent to Palestine in order to quell the the Jewish troubles. Mm. So that is true, uh, and that it, then he returned to Northern Italy, and that is also historically true. They were taken out and returned to Northern Italy, but he was in the Legion of Northern Italy, and uh, oh. he said, "Indeed, this was the Son of God." So he knew. Uh, now, he was uh, probably present for all of the tumult in, in Pilate's courtyard, where they said he made himself equal to God. Or mm -hmm. he could have perhaps heard our Lord preach. Uh, he, they, he was in Jerusalem. He, he must have seen our Lord. Uh, <clears throat> and the fact that he received the grace of conversion would make you think that he had, he had an interest in our blessed Lord. <clears throat> and number seven, Pilate said... <clears throat> had said, I find no cause in him. The Jews answered, we have a law, and according to the law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. And I, I have always pointed out that this is the third accusation. There were three accusations that, are, that the Jews made. One was that he was a Galilean troublemaker, and that's why he was sent over to Herod, because Herod was in charge of Galilee, and that took the pressure off of Pilate, and it made Pilate thought, oh, well, you know, this will make Herod feel good that I'm letting him judge this case, and, and I can just, you know, not pay attention to it. Mm. Uh, that, of course, didn't work. So he comes back to Pilate, and the second accusation is that he uh, said that you could not pay taxes to Caesar. All right. And mm. Pilate doesn't take it very seriously. He... he uh, because he probably knew that you, if you asked every any Jew in the whole province whether you should pay taxes to Caesar, they all would have said no. <laughs> and he, he's, you know, they, of course not. Why would you so pay taxes to Caesar? <laughs> they, they, so he knows that that's an empty thing. Well, what else is new that they don't want to pay taxes, you know? Hmm. But this one he listens to, that we have a law. And he must die because he make it, made himself equal to God. And yeah. Pilate is afraid of a tumult. See, the other two were about Rome. See, they're trying to pull on his Roman uh, his sensitivity. Oh, he's a Galilean troublemaker, and he's going to give Rome trouble. Well, he's you know he doesn't you know that doesn't do too much. And well, he doesn't want to pay taxes to Caesar. Well, you know what else is new. And, yeah, big deal. <laughs> but this is something that concerns the Jews themselves, and he understands that there could be a big tumult and revolt in Jerusalem if he does not observe their law. Yeah. And this moves Pilate to, to give him over. Uh, and, but that accusation, it's like playing the trump card with, not to make a pun about Trump, yeah. but it's playing the trump card uh, with Pilate. Uh, that that 
they have a law, and you, Roman, must observe our law, otherwise we're going to make big trouble for you. Yeah. And that he didn't want. So, <clears throat> uh, but they admitted that he made himself the son of God. And uh, Pilate, number eight, uh, that, that Pilate was frightened because Jesus had made such a claim. Uh, quote, when Pilate therefore had heard this saying, he feared the more, notice that, and he entered into the hall again and he said to Jesus, whence art thou? That means, where do you come from? Mm -hmm. See that he was moved by that, that he, that he claims to be the son of God and he has his wife telling him you know, that, that this is a special person. And don't have anything to do with him, and so uh, it, it it it's a a, a very and then uh, he he said to him, "Don't you know that I have the power of life and death over you?" And our Lord says, "If you had not received it from my Father, you would not have it." Mm. <laughs> so that made Pilate all the more. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's uh, very nervous at this point. So yeah. these are all ways uh, in which our Lord showed that he was true Messiah and true God and claimed to be such. And that's a very important point in this, in this process, this logical process by which we are going to point out that he is the true Messiah, he is the true God, that he is believable, that he founded a church, and that in order to be saved, that is to have a, an eternal life with God, it is necessary to accept his divinity and to be uh, a member of his church and to be sanctified by his sacraments and to to be an obedient uh, uh, member of the church. Well, that's a nice little bow wrapped around this uh, entire show, my Lord. So we see here four separate examples in the gospel where our Lord either claimed to be the Son of God or praised the confession of one of the apostles. We also... Show that he claimed uh, the knowledge, the the nature of God, divine powers. Um, so, as we wrap up this episode, we've covered lessons eleven through to nineteen of the text. Um, uh, is there anything else you would like to add in summary before we close out our episode, my lord? Yes, I would encourage the people who are listening, if they have the book in front of them, to go to the table of contents in the front and see the logical process. The, the author has followed this very, very strictly. And so the, the first chapter is religion in general, then revelation in general, then recognizing a divine revelation. Uh, the fourth chapter, the documents of the Christian revelation. So that's the gospels, etc. Then we talked about in number five, the, the evangelists, who they were. And then we, in number six, the gospels are genuine documents. Number seven, the Gospels are trustworthy documents. So that means that these are telling us the truth. The Gospels are complete documents, that they are not merely fragments. And then we get into Christ's claims, which we started today. He claimed that he was a prophet. He claimed, well, we did this earlier. He claimed that he was the Messiah. And today we said he claimed that he was the true God in front of Thomas uh, that he claimed in the presence of the apostles that he was the son of God. He claimed to the Pharisees to be the son of God. He proclaims to the Supreme Council of the Jews that he is the son of God. He claims that he has the nature of God. 
that he claims that he has divine knowledge, he claims that divine activity, and he claims divine powers. And that all of these claims that he made, both to be the Messiah and the true Son of God, was known by all the Jews. So that this is the logic. You know, if, apologetics is there to convert someone to the Catholic faith. So you, <coughs> you have to uh, you know, keep it all clear in your head where we're going with this. And that's a very important point. These are not just isolated chapters, but each one has a, a place in the whole logical ladder from essentially unbelief all the way up to being baptized as a Catholic. <coughs> yes. Well, that's a, a, a nice conclusion to this show. Once again, thank you, my Lord, for your time. Uh, we'll talk to you again um, soon as, as we continue this series. Um, God bless you. Thank you very much. If you have any questions about anything you heard on today's episode, please email questions at truerestoration.org. We want to remind you that Apologetics is a production of member-supported Restoration Radio. All rights are reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to copyright at truerestoration.org. All of us here at Member Supported Restoration Radio hope that you found this show to be informative, helpful and beneficial to you and to your faith. In return, please think of offering a mass, a rosary or even a simple ave for our work the next time you pray. For the restoration, I'm Phil Stone. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.